hello and welcome to another episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged man playing old adventure game books out loud on the internet. That middle-aged man is me, H.J. Doom, and this episode I'm presenting a playthrough of the classic fighting fantasy book, Appointment with Fear. But before we get into that, there's some patron news to take care of. Firstly, I need to thank a new patron, Benjamin Lambeth, for supporting the podcast with their hard-earned cash. Thank you so much for your support. I truly appreciate it. And secondly, I'm delighted to announce that I'm working on an adventure game book of my own, which I will be sending out as a Christmas present to all of my patrons. So if you feel like going to patreon.com slash hjdoom and supporting the podcast, not only will you be helping to keep me in retro game books, you'll also be getting a game book all of your very own as a thank you. I'll be revealing more details in the coming months, so stay tuned for that. With the housekeeping out of the way, let's take a look at today's game book. Appointment with Fear is another book that breaks new ground in the fighting fantasy series, this time by putting you in the shoes of a costumed superhero. It was written by Steve Jackson and released by Puffin Books in 1985 with internal art by Declan Considine and a beautiful cover by Brian Bolland. Now, I have a small confession to make. I've been a big comics guy in the past, but I don't much care for superhero comics. I've always preferred science fiction, horror, and fantasy comics. So even as a child, I never felt much urge to pretend to be Batman when I could pretend to be a Ghostbuster or a Transformer instead. Now I'm going to try and go into this book with an open mind, but I thought it best to just declare my biases before going in. Now let's get to it. Okay, so rules-wise, this being a Steve Jackson book, we've got quite a lot to get through. So much, in fact, that I've had to make notes to ensure I get through everything. And yeah, we're just going to try and burn through it as fast as possible. Skill, stamina and luck, all present as normal. Hero points are present. They are a way to track how well you are doing and essentially score. That's a new mechanic, quite like that. Battles work in exactly the same way they usually do, but rather than trying to kill the criminals, we're trying to reduce them to one or two stamina, uh, at which point they will surrender. If you kill a criminal by mistake, you lose hero points. This being a superhero story, you also get to choose a superpower. So the choices are enhanced tech, which is basically Batman gadgets, psi powers, which let you read minds, which I find straight up creepy, energy blasts, which you can use to knock out villains with a skill check, and super strength, which looking at them is clearly the best. I'm personally going to take energy blasts because Batman is a capitalist lickspittle, reading minds is wildly unethical, and super strength is just a bit dull. As well as a superpower, we also get clues, starting clues, which are determined by our superpower. And they're in the rules section, but I'll introduce them once we've done the background, when we actually know what the clues are about. And lastly, truly disappointingly, there's no provisions. I don't get to choose either my superhero name or even my real identity. So the superhero name is the Silver Crusader, and the given name is the nicely unisex Jean Lafayette. So I have generated my character. My Silver Crusader has a skill of 12. Awesome. It's been a while since I topped out. Stamina of 22 and a luck of 8. So without any further ado, let's play Appointment with Fear. 
The time of your birth was an anxious moment for your parents and their doctors. Your mother had consented to undergo an experimental form of genetic surgery. The doctors had warned her of the dangers of the radiation experiments. Their research program was nowhere near complete. But this she already knew, for she herself was one of the researchers. The work had reached the stage where progress was impossible without testing it on a human subject. Your father had not fully understood the implications when he gave his consent, and eight pairs of apprehensive eyes watched your arrival into the world. So, straight up, unborn infants can't consent to be medical guinea pigs. That's an issue. Secondly, your dad hasn't given informed consent to the extremely unethical radiation research being undertaken at the behest of the mother, who clearly has a conflict of interest, given that presumably her continued occupation is dependent on this radiation experiment going okay. Also, it doesn't tell us what the doctors are trying to do. I mean, if they're trying to cure some kind of disease, maybe some genetic disease that the mother knew she had, that would be one thing, but I suspect they were just mucking about with radiation for, you know, fun. Anyway, their first reaction was one of relief. You certainly seemed a normal, healthy baby. Postnatal tests showed no physical deformities whatsoever. In fact, you appeared to be a fine specimen. In your younger years, your development was carefully monitored with a seemingly endless series of physiological and psychological tests, all of which you passed with flying colours. The doctors and researchers congratulated themselves. Their experiments were a complete success. However, the experiments had been conducted in a shroud of secrecy. Had the world known of the risks of the experiment, public outcry would have been overwhelming. It would certainly have put an end to further genetic research. And, from your mother's point of view, she had no wish to have the world regard you as an experimental freak. Only a few knew what had really happened. So, the, uh, the lack of ethics keeps on coming as the doctors decide that the public, who may well have part-funded the research, don't really need to know what the research is. Over the years, the testing stopped, as the doctors felt more and more certain that there was no need to monitor your progress. As fate would have it, it was just when this testing stopped that it became clear that you are anything but a normal child. Your latent superhuman powers did not show themselves until after the doctors had lost interest. Your parents, who had become thoroughly fed up with the endless tests, oh yeah, I mean, it must be a real wrench to have to continually take the child you experimented on to a whole bunch of tests to find out what the consequences of your unmonitored experiments were. I can see that would be, you know, a bit irritating. Your parents decided that your extraordinary powers must remain a secret from the world. They had no wish to have you studied as some kind of freak for the rest of your life. You have a regular job working in an office of a medium-sized company. But when duty calls, you become the Silver Crusader, upholder of justice, and you have taken an oath to serve in the fight against crime in Titan City. There's one thing we've learnt from our incredibly unethical parents, it's that Absolutely nothing needs oversight. That is the lesson that our parents have taught us. Oversight, that's for the little people. Apart from your own super abilities, you have one other device to aid you. Your crime watch. Not to be confused with the BBC show in which crimes were reenacted so that the public could ring in and shop 
anyone they had a grudge at. The Crime Watch is a neat little device worn around your wrist, and it receives and broadcasts transmissions to and from your two most important allies. You can be contacted by police headquarters through this Crime Watch, and you can also summon the police to aid you. So from this we do deduce that uh, although the gender of the superhero has been left nicely ambiguous, I think we can conclude that the Silver Crusader is white. In addition, your friend and underworld contact, Jerry the Grass, is able to warn you of impending crimes through the Crime Watch. Jerry the Grass has recently become aware of an important meeting about to take place within the next few days. Vladimir Uteshki? No. Utoshki? No. Utoshki. Vladimir Utoshki, leader of FEAR, the Federation of Euro-American Rebels, that is a terrible backronym, has been summoning his aides in crime to meet in Titan City. Utoshki, also known as the Titanium Cyborg, is a supervillain whose field of expertise is the electronic enhancement of human abilities. He is part man, part machine, and very dangerous. Jerry the Grass has not yet found out where or when the meeting is due, but one thing is certain. Its purpose is to finalise plans for a scheme which would mean disaster for the Western world. The meeting must be stopped. We must find out where and when this meeting is due to take place and prevent it at all costs. So, yeah. Can I come up with a better backronym for fear off the top of my head? The Faction for Evil, Anarchy and Ruin. There you go, there's one. That's better than the Federation of Euro-American Rebels. That's, that's a... makes them sound like a dance band. So, okay, at this point I'm going to look at my clues. So, first clue. It's nice that the clues are all different, depending on the superpower you've chosen, so that there's, there's a real incentive to replay it. So, the clue is a notorious group of supervillains known as the Alchemists is planning a series of raids on financial institutions. They sound fine to me. The first victim will be the Cleveland Bank at 4am. Next will be another branch of the same bank situated on the corner of 128th Street and 10th Avenue. Okay, I really don't have a problem with people robbing banks. I will note this down anyway, on the off chance I'm in the area. So let's see. Now we can now choose our second clue from a list of three. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go for the last one. Recently, you've learned the true identities of several of the crime world's most notorious supervillains. The Tormentor has been identified as Richard Storm, an uptown heating engineer. He can't be the most notorious of supervillains if he still needs a day job. Um, the Ice Queen is none other than Sylvia Frost, society debutante. And Marcus Bruletta is known to be the gruesome Dr. Macabre, whose terrible experiments in surgery has shocked the world. Presumably, he uh, worked with my mum. Bruletta has been planning a jailbreak for months. When he does so, he is likely to rob a chemist immediately for surgical equipment and chemicals. So there we go. Shall note those down as well. As you walk the ten blocks to work that morning, you can't help but feel that something is not quite right. You stop by a telephone booth to consider what it could be. The sounds of the city are the usual 8am cacophony. Cars and buses bounce past along Clark Street, their drivers too sleepy even to try to avoid the pits and bumps in the road. 
newspaper vendor bawls an incomprehensible headline, something about a robbery, of the crowds of men and women milling past him on their way to work. Overhead in the sky, the rhythmic beating of a traffic copter's blades fades into the distance. An argument is taking place between an elderly businessman and an overlarge woman with an untrained dog, whose sidewalk deposits have offended the businessman. There is nothing unusual, or is there? It's quite a nice picture of yeah, downtown American city, complete with figures and cars. It's all right. It's uh, it's good because it's not been done to sort of avoid having to draw anything complicated. The uh, the artist has gone. Yeah, we want a city scene. Set the scene. Here you go. Very nice. The difference is only barely perceptible, but there is a distinct air of tension in the streets. There are nervous twitches in the eyes of the passers-by. The cars are accelerating and braking in a jittery manner. Little things like that. To your heightened senses, the atmosphere is pregnant. Today will not be just another day. Your thoughts are broken by the high-pitched wailing of a police siren. A yellow and black Cougar GS screeches round the corner and leaps ahead through the Clark Street traffic before swinging left into Audubon Park. Behind it, the traffic settles back into its regular flow. Your attention drifts back to the argument. A small crowd has built up around the man and woman. Raised voices are taking one side or the other, and the situation is beginning to look nasty. What will you do next? Uh, so, we can go and see if we can break up the argument, which I imagine would be a little bit of a uh, come down for the Silver Crusader. I like the idea that there's there's various people taking the woman's side in this argument, as if there's people for whom allowing dogs to defecate in the street is a matter of absolute principle. Uh, so we can go over and see if we can break up the argument. We can run after the police car. We can buy a newspaper to find out about the robbery, or we can ignore all these incidents and go to work. Whenever I play, RPG video games. One of the things that always winds me up is when they pretend that you have an option to ignore the call to adventure. And so whenever there is an option in any kind of game to just simply go about my business as if nothing has happened, there is an imp of the perverse that always goes, that's what you should do. When the guy comes and says, there's a dragon attacking the village, and it says, do you want to go with him? I just go, no, none of my business. I'm just going to stay here indoors where it's safe. So I am going to ignore all of these incidents and I'm going to go to work. Again, my, my natural distaste for superhero stories may also be uh, shining through here. Late again, you creep past the office of your boss, Jonah White, hoping he will not notice. But no such luck. His voice immediately booms out at you. Lafayette in my office! Immediately! Sheepishly, you leave your desk and creep in to see him. A stream of abuse follows. In his eyes, you are lazy, shiftless, incompetent. Suddenly, a squeal of tyres in the street below, followed by a loud crash, interrupts him, and the two of you rush to the window. A crowd is gathering around a large black limousine which has spun round in the road, mounted the sidewalk and crashed into the street lamp. A fire has started in the rear of the car and it's spreading. Do you wish to run downstairs in your street clothes, nip into the toilet to change into the Silver Crusader, or ignore the incident and go back to work? Well, once again, I feel like this is realistically a job for trained emergency services rather than an amateur with the ability to shoot beams out of his fingers. I really feel like fire fighters and paramedics are the obvious solution to this, so 
I will once again refuse the call to adventure and go back to work. This is a sort of thrilling, thrilling adventure you tune in for, isn't it? You settle down at your desk. On the corner of the desk is a newspaper open on page three. Oh-ho. You flick through the pages and find a short piece which catches your attention. Your old enemy, the smoke, is up to his old tricks. A known agent of fear, the smoke is able to turn into a gaseous form to commit his crime. See, in my head, the smoke had the amazing ability to smoke a hundred a day. An incorrigible self-publicist, he cannot resist tantalising the police with clues as to where he will strike next, and often uses the newspapers to announce his intentions. If you can only crack his clue, he is quoted as saying, What sort of fish does not like the water? You'll find out when it next rains. You will crack this clue by subtracting 20 from the reference you are on when you are told it's raining, turning to this new reference. Okay, so we've got a clue. Another clue. That's nice. We didn't even have to do anything for it. That is a clever little way of doing the clue as well. And I quite like the idea that you can try and think about the clue, try and wonder what it might mean, but your character will be able to crack it so long as you notice that it's raining, of which there is no guarantees with me. Under the watchful eye of your boss, you complete the morning's work. At lunchtime, you take a corner booth at El Greco's, a cheap diner on the next block. While you are eating, a chattering group of boffin types scramble into the booth next to yours. They're obviously trying to keep their voices down, but their excitement allows you to catch the gist of their conversation. They are from the local university's science laboratory. Well, I think the man's a fool, says one. If he mixes the aldehyde in... At that temperature, there could be an almighty explosion. Maybe you're right, says another. He's a stubborn old jackass. He'll never admit it was dangerous. I know one thing. We're much safer out here. Hmm, you think. Sounds ominous. Perhaps you'd better check it out. The group's security passes identify them as being from the biochemistry department. Only a block away, you pay your bill and leave quickly. Halfway there, you stop. From within the shop you are passing, a cry reaches you. Stop! Thief! Will you investigate this call for help, or do you think stopping a potential explosion is a much more important task? I think we will ignore the thief, because most people who commit acquisitive crimes have drug and alcohol problems which need addressing, and I think that beating up an addict is, is considerably less important than stopping scientists in a continuity where we've already established the scientists have absolutely no ethical base whatsoever from blowing up lots of people. So we'll go and have a look at the explosion. You change into the Silver Crusader and head for the biochemistry department. There are no signs of panic. Everything seems like any other day. Well, I think that's because scientists meddling with no thought of the consequences is like every other day in this world. You make inquiries and find that a Professor Murdoch is working on aldehyde experiments on the top floor. When you reach his laboratory, the Professor is sweating profusely. A crusader, he says, relieved to see you. My experiment has got out of hand. The temperature is building up. I fear I may have caused a disaster. In the corner of the lab, a complicated array of chemical equipment is shuddering. At one end, a bottle is boiling madly. Do you have the tech superpower? I do not. What will you do to prevent the bottle exploding? Will you throw it out the window, smother it with your hands, or rush off to look for a fire extinguisher? Um, well, I think if it was as simple as a fire extinguisher, the professor might have hit on that as a potential solution. So we'll, we'll scratch that. Smothering it with my hands sounds like a recipe for 
hands full of glass. So I think I'm just going to hoy it out the window, to be really honest. What's the worst thing that can happen? You grab the flask and hurl it out the window. This was not a good choice. First of all, the flask was hot and has severely burned your hand. Lose one skill point. Always nice to uh, lose some skill before I even manage to have a fight. Secondly, the contents of the bottle have splashed over passers-by on the ground below. For this, you must lose two hero points. So, I'm at minus two hero points. Nevertheless, you have prevented the explosion. The professor thanks you for averting what could have been a disaster. You leave the building and head for home. So, I've just burned some people, but as an extrajudiciary rando, there's not going to be any consequences. That's just, you know, what happens sometimes when you let a man dressed in a very silly silver bodytard do the sort of things that should be being done by trained professionals. But, thankfully, there are no consequences. What a day! You slump into a chair in front of the TV and relax with a long, cold drink. You may add six stamina points for the rest. One thing disturbs you. Your boss, Jonah White, will be livid when you turn up for work tomorrow. You will have to invent some pretty convincing excuses. The next morning, you set off to work early. This time, you travel by subway to make sure you get to work on time. But since when has a superhero's life ever been easy? Help! shouts a voice further up the crowded carriage. Pickpocket! Oh no, just what you needed. You force your way through the crowd on the busy train. As you reach the pickpocket's victim, that familiar beep, beep, beep sounds from your crime watch. Its electronic voice speaks. Cowfield, dairy, fast. Typical. Another dilemma. The train stops at a station only a block away from Cowfield Dairy. Will you leap out and see what is happening there, or will you instead aid the pickpocket's victim? I mean, other than providing moral support, I'm not convinced I can offer the victim of the pickpocket all that much. So I think I'm going to listen to the crime watch and leap out and see what's happening at the Cowfield Dairy. You change in a convenient alley and head for the dairy. When you arrive at the gates, everything seems to be in order. Milk floats are returning from their daily rounds and thousands of bottles are clunking their way along conveyors. There is no sign of danger. A short-tailed tabby cat, no doubt a stray, is trying to get in through the gates. You pick up the hungry creature and stroke it. As you wait, your eye catches a familiar-looking figure turning the corner and walking towards you. It is Chainsaw Bronski, a well-known murderer who you thought was well behind bars. Will you apprehend the villain? So let's talk about the picture first. There's a lovely uh, little image with kind of... It's not... It's like a little montage of Chainsaw Bronski's uh, life and crimes done in a sort of loosely comic book style. So there's a sort of picture of him. And his superhero costume is basically a leather jacket and a chainsaw. Uh, so he's mugging a little old lady at Chainsaw Point and a bank clerk at Chainsaw Point and chopping the head off a statue with his chainsaw because apparently classical art really, really annoys him. I mean, he seems like a fairly straightforward villain to catch, in the sense that he doesn't have any kind of disguise, and he's conspicuously holding a running chainsaw at all times. But, yeah, he does seem somewhat dangerous. So, will I apprehend this villain, or does my first line of duty lie with the needy, and will you instead take the cat to a cat's home? So, um, <laughs> the thing is... I'm presented with a bit of a dilemma because obviously this guy is an absolute nutter. But on the other hand, he's a nutter attacking a dairy and I'm a vegan. So I don't really go for dairies as being 
you know, good places. I do, on the other hand, absolutely love cats. So I feel like the dairy can pretty much fend for itself. And I'm going to take the cat to the cat's home instead. I am loving the sense of agency in this book. I mean, I, I admit that I am being deliberately perverse because uh, I don't like superhero stories. But I am really enjoying the sense that you can just choose to ignore crime. That seems delightful to me. The cat's home is not far from the dairy. As if it senses where it's going, the little animal squirms to get free. It fights and scratches in your grip. Seems to be getting heavier. Suddenly a remarkable transformation takes place. You drop the cat to the ground and before your eyes it grows in size and takes on a female human form until it stands before you as the Tiger Cat. Of course! This wicked she-villain has a record of robbing dairies and fish factories. That is an amazing M.O. Her tight tiger strip costume has sharp claws at the hands and feet and she springs at you. So the uh, tiger cat has a skill of nine and a stamina of eight. You can use psi powers on her or gadgets, but you have no time to use an energy bolt. So I'm going to roll some dice. So I have defeated tiger cat uh, without taking any damage whatsoever with having a skill of 11. Um, yeah, it was a very straightforward fight. You hand the tiger cat in at the police headquarters. You may add two hero points for this arrest. Taking my hero points to naught. Excellent. The police sergeant at the desk is puzzling over a piece of paper which has been handed in by a little old lady. She thinks it might be important. He lets you have a look, thinking it might be a clue. It reads, Watch out for the sign of the man-trapper, a metal slug with a letter M engraved on it. This is a useful clue, and you may add one luck point for seeing it. Well, my luck's at maximum, so that's not helpful. If you find evidence of the man-trapper's activities, add 60 to the reference you are on at the time, and turn to this new reference. I'm liking this clue system a lot, I have to say. You must start thinking about getting back to work. Outside, it is starting to rain. Just your luck. Head for work if you don't know of anywhere else to go. So there we go, there's one of the clues being paid off. So we subtract 20 from this section. So uh, we've been sent to another section. So you arrive at the home of Dr. Charles Crayfish, a well-known space scientist on the outskirts of town. The rain seems to be coming down heavier here and a mist is rising. Ah, the smoker. The door is opened by the doctor's maid. She is surprised to see you. Ooh, the Silver Crusader, she titters. Well, this is an honour. We do get lots of important people visiting. Dr Crayfish is working on the Star Wars satellite, you know. But we've never had a superhero come before. Do come in. I'm not particularly excited by the idea of saving a doctor who's working on military technology and who has a maid. I don't like people who have maids. Just instinctively. Uh, she tells you that the doctor is asleep at the moment. He was working very late last night. Do you want her to wake him up for you? Or do you want to have a look around his study? Or will you wait for him to wake and keep an eye on things in the meantime? I'm going to wake him up. The doctor is not happy about being woken up. and He barks angrily at the maid as he comes down the stairs in his dressing gown. I don't care who it is, he snaps. I am involved in the very important work on this Star Wars satellite. I must have my rest. You apologise for disturbing him. 
and tell him of your fears that someone will be trying to steal his secrets. Nonsense, he snorts. This house is wired up with a sophisticated alarm system. No one could possibly get in without setting it off. You explain that this may be no ordinary person, and it would be wise for him to check his study. There, you see, says the doctor as you enter the study, all is in order, just as I left it. But you are not listening. Your attention has been caught by a dark wisp of brown smoke that is passing out of the window through the air conditioner. You race quickly outside. It's the smoke. Suspended in the mist, a small brown cloud is floating away from the house. Do you have Psi Power, Energy Blast, or Super Strength? I have Energy Blast. So this be our first chance to actually use it. Thanks to me trying my very best not to have any adventures. You aim an Energy Blast into the brown vapour. So, let's test our skill. Just make it with a roll of 11. And I lose two stamina points for using the Energy Blast. If you hit, the brown cloud swirls and begins to solidify as it drifts down to the ground. When it reaches the ground, it has formed into the body of a dark-skinned man. You have captured the smoke. However, you have not managed to prevent him sending radio photographs of the Doctor's notes to the headquarters of fear. Nevertheless, you may add two hero points. Okay, so we're up to positive integers. Two hero points in total. You decide to return to town. You have already missed part of the day, and Jonah White will be furious when you return to work. Do you want to take the rest of the day off at Wisneyland, an amusement park you pass on the way into town? Or will you catch a bus back to work to make sure your attendance record doesn't get any worse? You have to love an adventure game book that lets you take the day off to go to Wisneyland. Ah, oh, I mean, how can I possibly resist? I'm, I'm off. I'm off. Wisneyland, which uh, has a, a nice, nice picture associated with it. Wisneyland is swarming with holidaymakers enjoying their day out at the amusement park. The smell of candy floss and hot dogs hangs in the air, and as you stroll about, youngsters clutching stuffed animals run laughing past you. Screams of delight from roller coaster riders turning through the corkscrew break through the general hubbub. You are going to enjoy yourself today. Which ride do you want to try? The Big Dipper, the Fun House, or the Dodgems? I think I'm going to go for the Fun House. Uh, purely because I have fond memories of an early 90s, late 80s, early 90s TV game show aimed at kids called Fun House. And yeah, I always wanted to go and play in the the real Fun House of the, uh, of the TV show. And strangely enough, because it was a film set, I never got the opportunity. So I will take this as a surrogate. You pay the admission charge and enter the funhouse. You walk along a narrow passageway. As you turn a dark corner, a luminous skeleton appears in front of you, shrieking wildly. You jump and then laugh. Just one of the scares of the funhouse. Further down the passage, your feet stumble on a wobbly floor. Then the walls begin to sway. Suddenly your foot steps on something and you fall forwards. But this time it is not a wobbly floor. You fall through the ground and land on a rubber mattress in a dark pit. Although it is pitch black, you can tell that you are not alone. Another figure touches you. A voice calls out and you answer. Oh, God! Thank God someone's here! Gasps a man's voice. I've been here for two hours. I can't find a way out. And not only that, my wallet has gone. I'm sure it has been stolen. And I don't think it was any accident. My name is Grant Morley, a reporter on the Titan Times. 
I've been covering an expose to reveal the identity of the Scarlet Prankster. Earlier, I met an informant at the Big Wheel who gave me a key to one of the rooms here, where I thought I could get some useful information. That key was in my wallet. You consider the situation, and as always, apologies to the people of North America. You consider the situation. The Scarlet Prankster is a dangerous criminal who delights in grisly practical jokes. You decide to change into the Silver Crusader under the cover of the pitch blackness. Then the two of you search the walls for a way out. You find a hidden door which lets you into the main room of the funhouse. So, do you have Super Strength, ETS, uh, the Techie one, or Psi Powers or Energy Blast? I've got Energy Blast, so we go to the appropriate section. Where do you want to begin your investigations? The Funhouse's main attractions are buzzing with people, although most are now staring at you with open eyes. Would you check the Rotating Room, the Trampolines, or the Hall of Mirrors? My instinct is that villains always lurk in the Hall of Mirrors, because that is such a classic location for a mysterious and confusing confrontation so we'll go hall of mirrors apart from making you large small fat thin long and short the mirrors do not seem to hold any secrets you are making little progress here you overhear someone making comment about how dangerous he thinks the big dipper is will you go and check it out or is it time you are making for home once again we are given the opportunity to refuse the call to adventure so we go straight home where are you heading as you leave Wisneyland? Will you make your way downtown to do some shopping or go home? If you go home, you may either want to rest for the evening or you might wish to sacrifice a stamina gain and spend the evening at the theatre if you can get a ticket for tonight's performance of Rats. I mean, there's a bit of me that really does want to just stay at home because in real life, that's what I do best. But I'm going to go and get a ticket for tonight's performance of Rats. You are in luck. A ticket for tonight's performance has just been handed in. It's not the best seat in the house, but you get a good view of the show. It's all about a group of rats who live in a rubbish tip and sing to each other for amusement. A rather peculiar plot, you think, but you are particularly taken by the star Lola Manch. We're going to add stalking to the list. Is that, that going to be a thing we do? In the last scene, as she is singing the title song, the show is interrupted. At first, you thought this character in a serpent costume was part of the show, but when he picks her up mid-song and runs off the stage, you realise she has been kidnapped. You find a dark corner in the back of the theatre and change costume. Will you wait outside the theatre for the kidnapper to make his escape, or follow him backstage? You may remember your resolution and decide against intervening. If you will simply leave things be and go home, you can do that too. Well, I've made a resolution to leave as much as humanly possible to train professionals so having changed into my silver crusader outfit i'm now going to change out of my silver crusader outfit and just go home and hope everything turns out all right after a good night's sleep you set off for work next morning to your great relief your crime watch does not sound at all you actually arrive before jonah white who is astounded to find you hard at work when he arrives you may add two luck points, as the danger of losing your job has now passed. At five o'clock, you leave. We're having the most wonderfully ordinary time. Will you change into the Silver Crusader and visit police headquarters to find out why so little has been happening on the crime front all day? Or will you pay a surprise visit to your aunt who lives out in the suburbs? Oh, we are so visiting my aunt. Not least because I don't see nearly enough of my aunts. So a reminder that uh, 
Yeah, I should I should see them more often. Your aunt lives in Cockney Green, a pleasant suburban district in the east of Titan Centre. The bus drops you off at Cockney Cemetery, leaving you with a five minute walk to her house. Will you take a legend will you take a leisurely stroll around the outside of the cemetery, or will you take a shortcut through it? Like a kind of little cockney walkabout. That will mean nothing to my more international listeners. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to take a little Cockney walkabout. A little Cockney walkabout. The outside of the cemetery. The cool air is refreshing and allows you to gather your thoughts. You must anticipate the fear meeting if you are to prevent their master plan from succeeding. If only you knew where it was to be held and... Thump. You feel a heavy blow across the back of your head and you drop to your knees. A rough accent says, Just get the money and let's get going quick. A hand searches through your pockets for your cash. Though groggy, you know what is happening. You are being mugged. You could, if you wished, fight back. But that would mean having to reveal your secret identity. Or you could let them think they have knocked you out. You have very little money on you anyway. Will you fight back or let them rob you? Well, yeah, I guess I had better let them rob me. Because, yeah, one of the things about the secret identity is that you have it to protect your loved ones. So I guess I will allow the... the the muggers to, to get away with it because I can't give away that I've got superpowers realistically and I, it's not like they're making off with much in the way of uh, loot. So you fake unconsciousness and seething inwardly let them take the money they are after. A car pulls up and they leap inside cursing about how little they have taken. You memorise the number. The police can handle this one. Yes, like all of them. Lose two stamina points for the blow on the head. So stamina now down to 18. Oh no, wait, it went up again when I had a nap, didn't it? No, no, it is, didn't go up. I chose to go to the theatre instead. I went to the theatre instead of resting. Your Anna Florence is overjoyed to see you, but wonders why you are looking so untidy. She fusses about making you tea and offering you cream cakes. You are exhausted by the day's activities and are happy to let her fuss. You decide to spend the night there rather than face the long journey home. Next morning is, thank goodness, a Saturday. No work, if indeed you still have a job left to go back to at all. Yes, I do. That particular problem has passed. You leave your aunts and you must now decide where you will go. There is an exhibition of home appliances of the future at the World's Court Exhibition Centre. You may go there or you can go and watch the presidential cavalcade on 7th Avenue. President is coming to Titan City. Alternatively, the Titan Tigers are playing a friendly football game against the Metro Mohawks. So you can go and watch that. Out of those, I don't believe you should encourage politicians with your adulation, so that's out. I can't imagine that a friendly between the Tigers and the Mohawks is going to be a particularly gripping contest. Uh, a chance to watch both sides try variously incompetent players and tactics that they wouldn't use if there was actual league points on the line. So, bizarre though it seems, I think Home Appliances of the Future in the wonderfully named World's Court Exhibition Centre is where I'm going to go. The crowds are gathering to get into the exhibition and a huge banner proclaims Appliances of the Future! See tomorrow's home technology today! As you wander through the exhibitions, there are many excited voices enthusing over the more ambitious gadgets on show. The clothing service station, for example, is a machine which takes in dirty washing and cleans, dries and irons it ready to wear. A cocktail composer puts together all the ingredients of a cocktail. Oh, hello. 
A perfect opponent is a games-playing computer which can learn the rules of any game and will play at eight different levels of skill. That is such a thing from like 1985. Imagine a computer that could play like Go or Operation or Mousetrap. I want to get the perfect opponent now I think about it and make it play Mousetrap. I want to, I want to know what like, playing against a maximum skilled Mousetrap opponent looks like. Robots are there in many forms. A tidy maid remembers where everything goes in a room and will replace everything in its proper position. Nice to see that we're gendering the robots according to the roles they perform. On a large stand, a man with round glasses and a loud voice is demonstrating his firm's tireless butler, a man-sized android which will do many home chores. You stare at him. His face looks familiar, but you can't quite place him. The android passes him a cigarette as he is bending down, but catches his hair and moves it slightly. A wig! <laughs> I mean, I love spotting wigs in the wild. I'd be delighted by this in real life. Of course! With a bald head, his identity is obvious. Although he is not easy to recognise without the cybernetic enhancers he wears on his arms and his distinctive and very dangerous eye goggles, it is most certainly Vladimir Otoshki, head of fear. You quickly nip away to change into the Silver Crusader and return to catch the villain. But he's quick. He sees you coming, flicks a switch at the back of the android and darts off into the crowd. It's a nice image again, kind of like... Not exactly comic panels, it's more of a sort of montage, I would say, in that it's not so much sequential storytelling. I mean, I suppose it is a bit, but yeah, there's a nice, nice image of the, the expo, and there's a nice image of the tireless butler, and a nice image of the tireless butler going bananas. So that's cool. A whirring sound comes from the android. It turns towards a man studying its arm and smashes him across the face with a powerful blow. Screams break out and the android goes berserk, charging into the crowd, arms flailing. Will you pursue Utoshki? Oh, still struggling with that. Will you pursue Utoshki? Or is your first duty to save the visitors from the mad android? Let's be honest, they knew the risks when they turned up to a convention centre. None of these things have been tested. Yeah, they can deal with their own android. I am going to try and pursue Atoshki on the grounds that he is one of the very, very few people in this who is pretty much definitely a worse human being than I am. So I should probably give it legs after him. Because apart from anything else, if I can catch him, I'll be able to finish the quest despite having done my very best to avoid finishing the quest for most of the run. You race after Atoshki through the milling crowds and catch a glimpse of him leaving the exhibition through a fire door. You follow him into an alley. He is nowhere to be seen. He must have run to one end of the alley into the street. Do you want to go left or right? Like, let's just take a moment to marvel that this is the first straight-up left-right decision we've had so far this adventure, and I have been recording for a good hour. It won't be an hour for you. Most of that was me tripping over my words over and over again. But it's still, it's a long way in. This is the first left-right decision, so as tradition demands, we take a left. You emerge from the alley into a crowded street and look left and right. Damn. You cannot see him. You run a few paces along the street to search for any signs of him, but it is hopeless. He has escaped. Oh well, easy come, easy go. You remember that the President is coming to Titan City today. Do you want to go down to 7th Avenue to watch the presidential cavalcade? 
No, because politicians should be regarded as a grudging necessity, not people worthy of admiration. So we're going to go and watch the Tiger the Titan Tigers play the Metro Mohawks instead. I hope it's a better game than I suspect it's going to be. You arrive at the stadium and buy your ticket for the game. It promises to be an exciting game as both teams are evenly matched. You are hoping that the Tigers will have the edge. They recently spent over a million on fullback Streak Gordon. Oh, there's another little reference. There's so many little references. You are anxious to see how he turns out. But neither side is able to maintain the advantage and, by half-time, a last-minute push by the Mohawks has levelled the score. The second half starts with a fabulous scoring run by Streak Gordon. But, amid the excitement, screams of terror are coming from the crowd. Part of the stand is collapsing. You rush off to change and then nip underneath the stand to find out what is happening. You are amazed by what you see. The collapse is not a structural fault as you thought. Standing between two iron girders is a huge hulking creature with brown scaly skin which is shaking the girders and groaning with the effort. You order it to stop. It sees your shimmering uniform and roars loudly. Puny human. It speaks. What can your pitiful efforts hope to achieve against a creature of carnage? Many must die before I will be still. <coughs> I hope I don't have to do that voice again. Oh dear. So, off-brand Incredible Hulk. Maybe Abomination. Again, the creature shakes the stand and this time... A crack appears in the metre-thick concrete above. You had better react quickly. So, super strength, psi powers, energy blasts or ETS, all are available. So we go energy blast. At point-blank range you fire an energy bolt into the creature's chest. It howls in pain and releases its grip on the girders. It buries its head in its massive hands and you watch as a remarkable transformation takes place. The creature writhes about and as it does so... It shrinks in size. Before your eyes, it reduces to the form of a man, and you recognise the face. The creature of carnage is none other than Ilya Karpov, known agent of fear. Karpov turns to face you, and you must fight him. It's pretty cool. So energy blast means we get to fight a man rather than a monster. So I imagine I can beat up a small man of vaguely... Eastern European mean. He's got a skill of eight and a stamina of eight. I am going to roll some dice. I have successfully defeated Mr. Karpov and he has surrendered at two stamina points. I did think about testing my luck to see if I could kill him by dealing four stamina with a single strike. Uh, I decided better of it. That's a bit churlish. That's me deliberately just trying to break the system. Uh, it would have worked though because the uh, the next paragraph that you go to assumes that you haven't done what I've just suggested because Karpov has to be alive. So you grab Karpov and threaten to finish him off unless he tells you what he knows about fear. The man cringes and agrees but pleads with you that he doesn't know much. The meeting is taking place tomorrow at 11am but he does not know where the meeting will be. He's not been invited. No, oh, poor creature of carnage. You hand the villain over to the police and you add five hero points for defeating him. We're up to seven hero points. That's nice. And despite my best efforts, we've found the time of the appointment that we have with Thea. The game has been abandoned and will now be replayed at a later date. 
What will you do now? You may either go to watch the presidential cavalcade or you may go home to rest for the day. Well, resting for the day sounds like the obvious thing for me to do. You set off home and take some well-deserved rest. The prospect of the fear meeting is weighing heavily on your mind, but for the moment you are well advised to relax for the evening. Six stamina points, taking us back up to 22. Next morning you are woken, not by the alarm clock, but by your crime watch. Beep, beep. Deep. This time the message is longer than normal and it repeats itself. Reliable information. Fear meeting today. Whereabouts unknown. You spring out of bed. Today? Do you have any clues as to where the meeting is? None whatsoever. So, you've got a choice. You can go to the Parker Airport. You can stay in town or head towards the waterfront. Well, if I was having a meeting... I don't think I'd want to have a meeting somewhere where we'd be constantly being interrupted by planes landing and taking off. So I'm going to rule the airport out. Waterfront. I mean, it is a sort of seedy crime ridden area, but I'm going to go that they just booked a mid-price hotel with decent conferencing facilities. So I'm going to stay in town. If you are staying in town, you'll be already making your way towards Fear's secret meeting place, which lies along one of the avenues. Which avenue are you heading for? Multiply its number by 10 and turn to that reference. I don't know. Um, 10th Avenue, I guess. If the result makes no sense, which it didn't, we turn to a different reference. It is hopeless. You do not know where fear is holding its meeting and you have no chance of finding it in such a short time. You find a convenient spot, change into your street clothes and hail a cab. The driver has his radio on as he chants away. The radio splutters and fizzles. The music dies and an unscheduled announcement interrupts the programme. A steely voice with a sinister tone speaks slowly and clearly. Citizens of the world, it announces, do not attempt to retune your receivers. This message is being broadcast on all frequencies simultaneously in all languages, to all areas of the globe. My name is Vladimir Utoshki. I am known as the Titanium Cyborg. My organization is known to you as the Federation of Euro-American Rebels. My message is this. We have taken control of the Star Wars satellite, which orbits the Earth. We demand the unconditional surrender of all your governments and military establishments and the submission of all citizens to our leadership. Any resistance will be dealt with harshly. Our satellite will obliterate one by one the major cities of the Earth. As proof of our power, Titan City will be exterminated in exactly 30 seconds. Your heart sinks. You have failed to stop the fateful meeting of fear. The whole world must now pay the penalty. Well, I had a thoroughly good time with that. But I will be considering in a bit more detail... And I'll be back very shortly with some closing remarks. Much as I enjoyed that playthrough of Appointment with Fear, I think I actually enjoyed it even more on subsequent playthroughs. It's longer than the average fighting fantasy book, weighing in at a hefty 440 sections, and it needs that extra space because there's a devil of a lot going on. Not least because with four possible superpowers, there's a great deal more complexity for most of the encounters than there would otherwise be. I think the variant superpowers are fantastic for adding a different spin every time you approach the book. It's a lot of fun. 
I haven't managed to beat the book at time of writing, but I have to say I don't massively mind. It reminds me a bit of the video game Skyrim in that respect. That's a game I never actually finished because simply wandering about doing endless side quests felt much more enjoyable to me than dealing with the main plotline. In a similar fashion, Appointment with Fear feels stuffed full of content. There are a host of different villains for you to track down and confront, and there's a lovely sense of variety to the crimes they're involved in as well. I found myself feeling quite disappointed each time I got to the point where I'd have to try and locate the titular appointment because it meant I had to stop just messing about in Titan City. It really helps that the book is written in a way that gives the player a tremendous sense of agency. I remarked in my playthrough how long it took to get to a point where I needed to make a straightforward left-right decision and that consequential design is a feature of the book which I think is great. You're always being offered what feels like a meaningful choice, even though in practice it might be just as arbitrary as a fork in a dungeon. That helps sell the idea that you are a superhero, someone capable of taking charge of their destiny and affecting the destiny of the world. How you present the decisions really helps tell the story. And I think one insight from this is that you can actually reverse the approach to tell different stories. So if you're running a a game or writing a game book by deliberately withholding information about the choices you can make a section feel much more dangerous. You can take away the illusion of agency that Appointment with Fear builds so well and that kind of thing is fascinating to me how the same binary choice can be made to feel completely different depending on how you stage it. I don't think I've played another adventure game book where you could sack off your mission in favour of taking in a show. Okay so the show inevitably has a villain rock up and kidnap the lead but I simply love you have so many options to refuse the call to adventure. It's clear that this isn't going to lead to a good outcome for the story, but the sense of freedom is really empowering. I love being able to determine my own priorities. There are some slightly odd bits of design. Um, one bit that stands out is that Fear has this big meeting coming up where they're going to conquer the world, but the titanium cyborg still can't resist rocking up at the kitchen gadget show in a badge syrup armed with a robot designed to cause a relatively small degree of mayhem. I get the impression that these supervillains just can't help themselves. They know they've got bigger fish to fry, but they cannot pass up the opportunity to do a crime, especially if it's a really stupid crime. And that's sort of moronic, but it's the best kind of moronic because it somehow rings true. And it's a bit like former President Donald Trump, who famously always stiffed his contractors no matter the scale of the project. Even when the sums involved were nugatory, he is incapable of passing up any chance to line his own pockets. And I think that same thing is going on here with these criminals. They just cannot resist. There's this one day in the middle where they manage to keep a suspiciously low profile, but they can't stick it for more than 24 hours and by the very next morning, they're back to their old tricks, and I love it. Another factor in the design that I think is interesting is that this is a narrative more concerned with exploring time than space. You essentially have three days to explore the city, and each day has its own structure with branching paths that all meet up at the end of the day. And I think this is a clever device because it makes the reset points feel very natural because you have this need to get some kip now and then, that we all have that need. So you can send the player all over the city and get them right back to their home base, ready for the next section without needing to worry about 
railroading them into a particular physical location, which I think is, is it just feels very natural. It means you have to map a bit more conceptually than spatially if you're mapping, which I never do, but it breaks the narrative up into different acts and makes exploring all of the sections not feel too overwhelming. Because this is a game where I did at times feel as though I was overwhelmed with choice. And it's crucial that investigating all these various leads feels fun. As this is a detective story as much as a superhero caper. Your character is drawn more from Batman and his ilk than from the likes of Thor or Captain Marvel. This simple system whereby you get clues which you can use later to go to a different paragraph from any of the choices presented in the main text is brilliant. Finding a hidden solution never stops feeling like an accomplishment. And it feels as though you've sort of got one over on the book, which is quite mad but also brilliant. Also it manages to do a decent job of some of the NPC encounters, which I think is probably the hardest element of any game book. Lots of things systematise fairly well into a small set of choices, but dealing with people is not usually one of them, especially human beings who we know are complex and convoluted. It's hard to write them in a way that doesn't feel unrealistically constrained by the needs of the design, but Appointment with Fear does a pretty good job by keeping the interactions as simple as possible. I mean, you actually need a lot of choices when your boss is going off on one. You either do what he says or you don't, and that's, that's smart writing. There are some issues with the book. I think they're generally less about Steve Jackson's writing ability, and certainly not much about his design ability, and I think they're more about problems inherent in the genre. Now, I don't want to belabor a point I already belaboured in the playthrough, but there are definite issues there. I don't think superhero stories are always bad when they represent marginalised groups or when vigilantes stand up for innocent people that the wider systems of justice and care are failing. I think there's some really interesting stories to be told in that space. But I don't care for the narrative that says we should give special people the licence to do what they want with no oversight. That's how you end up with Elon Musk. Also... Any superhero who is best pals with the police is inherently suspect in my book. And I think the hero points system illustrates this dichotomy quite nicely because it ends up highlighting the total lack of any kind of external accountability. There's times where you get told to knock off hero points for getting people hurt or killed, but that's literally the only consequence to your actions. And it's one that feels as though it's a cost you've imposed on yourself, like a murderer going home and sadly crossing out the legend on his whiteboard that reads 25 days since my last murder. In one playthrough, I accidentally bludgeoned a child unconscious. And the book casually mentions that it's a good thing the child wasn't seriously hurt because this is exactly the sort of thing that your critics would love to jump on you bludgeoning a child unconscious. And your reaction on committing what is literally a crime isn't to hand yourself in, holding yourself to the same standards that you're holding the criminals, it's to run away before anyone sees that you've bludgeoned a child unconscious. So you very much are behaving like a criminal, except that you're giving yourself a bit of a ticking off about it and calling that the same as consequences. However, Tracking hero points does give you a lot more incentive to try and find not simply the easiest path to the end, but the most heroic. And I really like that. That's not something I've seen before 
incentivizing the player to do something other than take the path of least resistance. Uh, that's very, very cool. Now, I spoke at length about how the science in Titan City is wildly unethical, and there's some fairly compelling stuff that we missed in this playthrough that's further evidence of that that I just wanted to share. Like, your super origins are one thing, but there's also some weirdo giving gamma radiation to Alsatians for a reason that is never disclosed. So the massive, aggressive dogs promptly escape and start running amok. I mean, was the evil science pet shop out of sausage dogs that day? Could they not have done their radiation experiments on a group of sloths? I feel like irradiated sloths running amok is something fairly easy to contain. However, it's also just a really good set piece dealing with the irradiated aggressive dogs. And it brings us to yet another instalment in my long-running series where I continue to act surprised that there's so much scope for iterating on the world's simplest battle system. When you fight the dogs, whenever they would normally wound you, there's a nice little table you have to roll on to find out what happens and whether you manage to prevent the dogs from biting a helpless bystander. Uh, and obviously if they bite helpless bystanders, they will die of radiation poisoning and you will lose those precious hero points. There's also a very slight chance that the dogs will straight up kill you if they manage to land a hit, which means that Steve Jackson has incorporated critical hit rolls into a fighting fantasy book. That's another genius little touch, and it turns a fairly easy but not trivial battle into a tense old affair. So... That's Appointment with Fear. I had such a lovely time with this book, even with my jaded views of the source material. It's one I would definitely recommend picking up. Steve Jackson really loved pushing the boundaries of game books, and I think here he's come up absolutely aces. I didn't mention the interior art much, but it's fine. Not noteworthy except that use of comic panels to sort of showcase the material. Uh, but it's all good, solid stuff. Well, that's all for this episode. Join me again later in the month when I'll be doing another bonus episode, which is obviously funded by my generous patrons. In the meantime, you can get in touch with me by emailing hjdoomretrofun, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Oh, P.S. Federation of Euro-American Rebels still absolutely sucks as a backronym, so how about... Foes of everyone asserting rectitude, ferocious enemies of all righteousness, or the fantastic elite assassin register. Take care. See you soon.